HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Shaxbury Cider. Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. So every day the shutdown continues to grow is another day that there will be a backlog. This week, we're looking at the unexpected ways the government shut and shutdown has impacted our food system. There are nearly 1.6 million New Yorkers who rely on SNAP to feed themselves and their families every single day. There is a real impact on our friends and neighbors. A lot of farmers rely on commodity loans at the end of the year. Since the offices are not open, those loans aren't available to them. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick, and it's 2019. What? First show of the year. Oh my God. Wow. Ah. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at HRN, and I'm here, of course, with Katie Moswood Wadler, our executive director. Hey, Kat. Thanks for being on this Thursday. And uh, we also have in the studio making us sound great Amanda Wang. What up, Amanda? Hey, Amanda. (laughs) We have some very special guests here today. We do. We are joined by two of the leaders at Momofuku Nishi. We have Emma Conroy, the general manager, and Nick Tamboro, the chef to cuisine. Welcome. Hello. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited to talk to you both more about um, your backgrounds and your food opinions and Nishi and Momofuku and all the things. Um, But first, we have a couple quick announcements and some headlines. Um, announcements are pretty short this week. Um, the one thing I wanted to point out is that we recently got back from San Francisco. Ooh, what was that? That was the, ma- <laughs> the outgoing mail sound. Um, we, I think that was us flying back from San Francisco. Oh, it was, I wish my flight had been that fast. Um, so we got back from San Francisco. We were there for the Good Food Awards and the Good Food Mercantile. We, as we have been doing for the past few years, recorded the entire good food awards ceremony 
The speakers this year were Carlo Petrini, translated by Patrick Martins from Italian, Jessica B. Harris, and um, Sarah Wiener, the executive director of the Good Food Foundation. It was my first time being there, and it was really, really inspiring, um, honoring all of these makers who are making food the right way and the hard way, as they reiterated. Um, It takes a lot out of someone to make food the right way. And we also were there at the Good Food Mercantile, and we did a lot of really fun interviews and conversations with people that were showing their different foods. So please go check out Heritage Radio Network on tour, episodes 203, which is the award ceremony, and then 204 through 207 are from the Mercantile. Quick hint, 207 is a little hilarious because it's Patrick Martins and Emily Pearson of the main course OG just doing rapid fire interviews asking people what dish Meghan Markle should serve to the people of the United Kingdom to create peace and to get the press off of her back (laughs) Um, Amanda edited that so she's like in the booth laughing about it it's very entertaining and the answers are very interesting and surprising I would have no idea I want to also put out oh what to make yeah what Megan should make. Yeah, I, she's she's having a hard time. Yeah. yeah. And mac and cheese was a, a popular answer. They were oh, like, no. you can't go wrong with mac and cheese. But then I, some people got very specific. I thought I she should do like olives because like the olive branch. Mm. So like something like super olive heavy. Well, she's the avocado, avocado toast like guru apparently. Oh. You can put olive oil on avocado toast. But so yeah, no, there's like... this whole thing on social media that she, her, somebody posted that she makes the best avocado toast, which to me feels really basic, but but maybe can, exactly can what's needed. Avocado toast but hey, the stick best to what avocado you're good toast. at. You know what I mean? Like if she's at if the she's, very <laughs> least she'd win over the millennials. If she's a queen uh-huh. of brunch, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to get to the UK's heart. I don't know. Yeah. Full American brunch. Full American brunch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Agreed. We're going to add that to their list. <laughs> we should just send her a letter. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to point out another episode from Mercantile, which was so, one, just unbearably sweet and also has a lot of really good business advice if you are thinking about uh, starting really any kind of food business. But this is a great one where Eli Cairo from Olympia Provisions interviewed his sister, who is uh, the head of all things finance for Olympia Provisions. And so it's really amazing because you can see like their relationship and sort of begin to understand how they have not killed each other all these years. Uh, But also uh, she's brilliant and some really good recommendations in there for books and just some smart uh, takeaways if you don't have a lot of time but you know you need to pick up a little business know-how that's episode two of five Thank we you. have one episode about like business and then one about um an open exchange of food and ideas um and then one is about like the past present and future of good food so there are kind of curated episodes you can pick what topic you're interested in and hear some really interesting people talk about them yeah that's my plug Okay, I have an announcement, but it's a cryptic announcement about an announcement. So uh, stay tuned to HR and Happy Hour next week for some literally like the biggest news of the year. Mm, bum, bum, bum. You better be there. Cool. All right. That's all I'm going to say about that. I think it's time for some headlines. All right. Headlines. <laughs> uh, okay. If you've ever wanted to know a bit about who owns a restaurant before making a reservation, which there are many reasons to want to inquire for that these days, there is an app for that. So on this week's Tech Beist, 
no, Tech Bites is what that show is Tech called. Tech Bites. <laughs> Jennifer Leutze sits down with the creators of the Eat Okra app, which helps users find restaurants owned by African Americans so you can go there. And today, Eat Okra covers 20 cities and 1,200 restaurants. Check them out. I'm downloading that. Um, next up, Food Print is a new platform that helps educate eaters about the effects of food production on people and the planet. This is a big topic at Good Food, by the way. On this week's Farm Report, host Lisa Hell talks with the director of Food Print to talk about the site's goals, its detailed reports on farming and environmental impact, and what a sustainable diet really looks like. Andrew Friedman recently went to a chef's event in the Cayman Islands. You may have been seeing streams of photos, as I have been making me very jealous this cold and rainy week. As you might assume, he talked to a lot of famous chefs when he was there. Go figure. So on this week's episode of Andrew Talks to Chefs, you can hear Eric Repair talk about how living in New York and practicing Buddhism have affected him as a chef. And Dominique Crenn also dishes on her tomboy youth and willingness to take on bullies. Also, Andrew Zimmern and Emeril Lagasse are making appearances as well. Um, you may have also seen photos if you follow our good friend Bob the Bartender. He's also at the Cayman Cookout. Um, so just... Uh, I guess, uh, feel jealous, or maybe you were there, in which case I'm also jealous of you. And Andrew was there as well as Greg and Darren Bresnitz of Snacky Tunes. So if you want more Cayman Cookout content, you can listen to the upcoming episodes of Snacky Tunes. I don't know how much content I could really take, though. That's just going to make me bitter. I mean, the sun did come out just <laughs> now. Like, actually, when I, I don't know if it was the case when you walked over because you came before me, Kat, but when I walked over here just now, I was like, did I die? Because the sky just was like, it looked like the entire sky was a rainbow in a weird, you know, when there's a oh. rainbow and you got that funny feeling, it was like the whole thing was doing that. Maybe I just like haven't seen the sun in a while and it's been really terrible out. But yeah, you're having major seasonal defective, affective disorder and going a little bit crazy. That's how I feel. It, I'm, I might be hallucinating, yeah. but it was like, it was like a, a surreal sky just now. So if you're listening live um, and you're in New York, like please go for a walk outside. It's like <laughs> un, um, unimaginable how cool the sky looks. It's your only chance. <laughs> All right. Um, so once again, our guests are Nick Tamboro and Emma Conroy from Momofuku Nishi. I'm going to read quick bio points for each of you because you have very interesting backgrounds. So first up, Nick began his culinary career in Boston. He worked at restaurants like Flower Bakery, Sa Savinor's Butcher. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. And Market and Radius. Upon moving to New York, he joined Momofuku at Noodle Bar, which is a super like fast-paced style of service. Um, and then he moved to Belgium where he worked at Indowolf. Am I saying that right, too? Yeah, you're right nice. on. Right on. Okay. Um, which is now closed. Yep. Um, and it's a Michelin-starred restaurant from Chef Kobe Desmeraults. And then came back to New York, rejoined Momofuku at Co., um, helped reopen the restaurant in the new location at Extra Place. And then he was promoted to sous chef and then moved to Momofuku Nishi to become chef de cuisine. So bounced around Momofuku and then did some other awesome stuff in between. Yeah. Any highlights? Highlights of uh, my life? Yeah. Momofuku? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like you kind of nailed it. I feel like you already, that's me. I traced, traced the path. What about uh, you? Yeah. There was in between. In between. Well, okay. so I left and came back to Momofuku twice. Yeah. Um, which has been a good experience. First time I went to Belgium to work with Kobe, which was awesome. He's like an amazing dude. And uh, yeah, Indowolf is now closed. So I feel very fortunate to have like 
been there at that like place and time because it's a really special place. Um, so I'm glad I got to see it and be part of like its history and all that. Um, and now he has a restaurant called Chamber Separate, which is in Ghent, mm-hmm. um, which I haven't gotten to go to yet, but it seems amazing. Um, and then the second time after I left Co, I worked at Co for three years. Um, just did some traveling uh, around the U.S. Um, went on a cross-country road trip for like three months. Wow. Um, and then... Where did you go? Uh, everywhere. The, <laughs> the whole, the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, I just did a big loop all around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really get to like the center of the country, like Miss Colorado, but, uh, you know, a bunch of other places. And I worked worked here for a little bit at Blanca. Oh, um, cool. Just for a short time. Just next out. door. Yeah. Helped out some friends there and, and some other spots. And then came back to Momofuku. Just keep coming back. Yeah. Coming back for Can't more. stay away. <laughs> um, Emma Conroy is a Providence, Rhode Island native. She worked at Chow Fun, Chow Fun Food Group and 10 Prime Steak and Sushi before she moved to New York City in 2011. Since moving here, she's worked at La Conde Verde and Red Cat in Chelsea. May it rest in peace as well. We love Red Cat. While there, Emma went through the American Somali Association and rose to beverage manager. Then she worked at Cork Buzz under Master Som Laura Maniac. Is that? Manic. Manic. And Laura was on Som. Laura's on Som yes. 3. And I think I believe she's in Som 1 and yeah. 2 and in Som Crazy. But I, I, I hate to admit I haven't seen Som 3 yet. So. I have. It's great. I know. I, yeah. I keep meaning to watch it. Um, you were then promoted to direct, direct, director of ops at Cork Buzz. And then you joined Momofuku in 2016, and you're now the GM of Nishi. Always have been. Always have been. Yeah. Probably won't, probably won't always will be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually I'll have to do something else. But um, yeah, I joined Momofuku at Nishi about nine months after it opened. Um, took over for Richard Hargrave, who is... In L.A. now? He's in L.A. now. Yeah. But he went. At, he was leaving to go to Vegas mm-hmm. and... Then went and did Domo, and you know Dave has said on his podcast he'll never open a restaurant without Rich. So, yeah, I mean he's been there. He was there for Siobo, Toronto, and he then, was at Co for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, Rich is a great guy. Yeah, um, Rich, so, you're welcome for the free press, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, let's start with when Nishi opened. Nick, were you there when Nishi opened, or that was with Josh Pinsky, correct? Yeah, that was with Josh. Um, I was at Co at the time. Josh left to go work at Nishi um, and then that's kind of like when I became sous chef like after Josh went to Nishi so um, so I feel like yeah. Nishi had like a ton of pressure on it when it opened and there were like lovers and haters but it's three years now yeah um, one of the things that I think was I mean neither of us were there for the beginning of Nishi but when the space was acquired it was you know, thought to be the first West Side Momofuku venture because, you know, obviously Noodle Bar and Sambar being in East Village uh, and even having Malpesh uptown, but they were thinking of making it a Noodle Bar or maybe a Fuku, and then Josh was given this space, but it really had already been designed sort of in the old guard of Momofuku with, like, the communal tables and the minimalist, you know, aesthetic. Um, and then Josh you know, brought, was brought onto the project and eventually we, you know, it came, I wasn't there or I was there for part of it, but it, it felt like the, really the menu and the style of service didn't fit the aesthetics of the space. So the decision was made to renovate 
And obviously, Sambar went through a renovation as well. And, you know, just as Mofuku grew and expanded, we realized, you know, I'm sure more from the upper level, but at, you know, Nishi's level, that we wanted to really kind of redefine ourselves and, and, and embrace the idea of, you know, comfort mm-hmm. and not just, like, what people thought of, of Momofuku as, like, loud music, like, really kind of, like, this avant-garde, like, we don't care. Um, you know, everyone does really care, so it's interesting to see uh, how, like, the space came together with the banquets and, and really just the renovation of the whole restaurant and what has happened since then. And even just looking at Vegas opening and Major Domo and how, like, beautiful those spaces are and really, like, the, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody, but, like, the company has definitely grown in that way that, you know, like, I think all of the new restaurants that are opening are incredibly beautiful and not that the minimalist wasn't, but, you know, we're growing into a different phase of, of the, like, culinary world in that way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Nishi, almost the opening of Nishi, and again, you, you know, you guys weren't there at the original opening date, so not to like speak for you, but it opened at a point before Vegas, before LA and before Psalm was renovated. So it like happened at a very interesting like inflection point in the group as a whole. And so I think that even, even like reviews that could have been spun as being negative, were just kind of not seeing the fact that there was something bigger happening at Momofuku, yeah. do you and, feel that way? Absolutely. I mean, and when we opened Nishi or when Momofuku opened Nishi, we were really trying to explore that no tipping idea. And it was clear that maybe it just didn't work in that space or in, you know, not to say anything, but I'm not sure that it, like how well it will work in the long run. Uh, obviously, Danny Meyer has championed it and I've never worked for him, so I can't say, you know, how happy everyone who works there is with it. Um, but we went away from that and I think... You know, that it was definitely an exploration into trying things. And Dave's big thing is, like, make smart mistakes and, and, you know, keep trying new things. And if you fail, like, try again. And, you know, that's really, I think, a core of what Momofuku is. is like, let's try to do something that maybe we haven't seen being successful or that no one else has ever done. And, you know, we'll accept the losses and we will, you know, rise again and try something different. Like, we're never going to be solely defeated in the idea of, oh, this didn't work. We're just, you know, going to keep going or we're going to scrap it. Like, we always do what we can to re- reimagine the restaurant. And I think mm-hmm. Nishi is definitely an example of that. It feels like it's definitely been three maybe different iterations mm-hmm. in the time I've been there. And that's, I think, and we're doing very well. So it's really nice to see that, you know, hard work pays off in that way. Can you talk more about this idea of smart mistakes and how you go about planning for those? I don't <laughs> I don't think you really do plan for them. <laughs> how do you try to make your mistakes smart instead of dumb? Um, I think it's, you know, just trying to do things that we really believe in and coming up with an idea of like what can we do next? Like never rest on your loyal like laurels, like just really keep pushing yourself and um in that way, I think we try to do things that have never been done before or push ourselves to, like, expand upon these ideas or concepts um, at Nishi, you know, specifically to, like, oh, we'll do these large format dishes and we don't know how it's going to go or we're, like, changing the style of, like, the concept at lunch or whatever it might be and just really like, try and go for things and um, 
you know, not be afraid to fail. I think so, that's, that's the biggest thing. Don't be afraid to fail because it seems like an impossible idea. Right. So I should say, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this show before, but I worked at Momofuku, but on the paper cut side, which paper cut is the office. We call it home base now, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Everything changes. <laughs> um, but I, I think that what I always picked up from the restaurants, um, the chefs and the GMs and everyone that worked there is that it was almost always the assumption when you did try something new, like the assumption was just assume it's probably not going to work. Yeah, that's kind of like the Momofuku way. <laughs> yes, yeah, like it's like an underdog mentality. It's like assume it's not going to work. And then that, to speak to your question, Katie, it's like that's how you prepare for it. And you're planning for like it's probably going to be a failure. And then when it is a failure, you're like, what did we learn from it? It's all it was always like, what did we learn? Yeah, what did we learn? And then we're going to try to do it again anyway. Yeah, yeah you like because... have to be pessimistic, but then you just like go through with it. Because you have to. That sums up the Momofuku <laughs> ethos, I think. Be pessimistic, but do it anyway. Yeah, like, like we came up with this crazy idea. We're not really sure how to execute it. We're going to do it. We know it probably is not going to be great the first time around, but we're going to do it maybe two or three more times anyway and take what we learned from that and apply it to try to make it. It's also very scientific. It's like a weird scientific method. It is. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, tell us about the menu now and, and what Nishi is looking like and tasting like these days. Um, well, so when Nishi first opened, it was like a kind of a Korean and Italian mashup. Um, and then they did the renovation and they decided to be like a full Italian restaurant for like whatever that means in the Momofuku world. It's like not really, you know, your typical Italian restaurant. Um, so when I came on, um, I've never really cooked Italian food before, um, but I know Momofuku pretty well because I've worked for the company for five years. Um, so Italian food, like, wasn't really in my wheelhouse, um, even though I'm, I'm Italian American, but it, honestly, it's like never really been my thing. Uh, and so to try to learn how to do that, um, has been an interesting experience, um, but we make a lot of pastas in-house, which is, like, a huge focus for us. Um, we do, like, a pasta tasting menu. Um, it's, like, four pastas and two desserts. Um, but the approach that I try to take with it is um, not knowing anything about Italian food is kind of, like, I think our strength. Um, we just kind of, like... Well, I wouldn't say we don't know anything about Italian food. Not knowing as much <laughs> as maybe someone that's, like, classically trained mm. in Italian cuisine... Yeah, I, I see it as a strength for us because we don't have any preconceived notions about like what things are supposed to taste like or like this sauce goes with this pasta or, or like this region of Italy does things this way. I think um, I think too that, you know, we were never trying to be a straightforward Italian restaurant. Um, and when Momofugu opened, obviously, like Nick said, like it's Korean Italian uh, because we that really was the concept of it, but it was very difficult. It was heady. Like, people didn't necessarily understand what that meant, so they came and they're like, is it Italian? Is it, Momof like, is it noodle bar or sambar? And it really is, once we reopened after renovation, it was really important to me and to Josh and to Nick that we were embracing the idea of Italian cuisine. Like, we make fresh pasta. <laughs> we're like, take inspiration from those dishes. But at the same time, we still fit into the story of what Momofuku is. Like, if you've been to Sambar, you can come to Nishi and still experience something that feels like Momofuku. And whether it's ingredients or techniques or what have you, 
that, that that story is still really there. Well, what strikes me in hearing you talk about being Italian American, but not like that not being your thing sounds almost exactly the way Dave Chang used to talk about being Korean American, but he went to Japan and wanted to open a ramen shop and Korean was not the food he wanted to really be cooking. But then eventually like it becomes part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think in, in, if you look at it in that way, you could maybe argue that with you being at Nishi, it's one of the most Momofuku restaurants that there is. (laughs) Yeah. I do think, and there's a pork sandwich that we serve at lunch that is, I think the staff favorite of like any dish that's served, like they come in to have it on their day off and it's something that he pulled from. Yeah. My mom used to make like, I mean, it's just like a classic Italian American like repertoire, like pork chop with cherry peppers. So like this sandwich is inspired by that, but it's also like equally inspired by like a Japanese like katsu sandwich. So, um, and we, we do that kind of thing a lot, like pulling from like different cuisines and stuff like that. I'm curious to know more about like what, you ate when you were young and like how much your mom's cooking has influenced you or not? Um, I mean, both my parents were, were really good cooks, um, but they didn't, they didn't just strictly cook like Italian food or anything like that. It was, I mean, the good thing about it was they were always like trying new things just for fun. Like my mom always had like a bunch of magazine subscriptions to like food and wine or like gourmet or whatever. And would just like cut out recipes and she had like a binder of like all these recipes and just like try new stuff. So that was cool because I got to experience like a lot of that. But there wasn't like a specific focus. Like we weren't like the super Italian American family where like there's like 30 family members on Sunday and you have like gravy. Like we didn't. Sunday dinner. Yeah, we didn't do that. <laughs> uh, but you know, there was some of that stuff. Um, Kind of changing topics totally, but has Nishi in the past three years garnered any major awards that the team's been like super or or criticism that the team's been super excited about i wish criticism anything like any awards or like josh won a uh pasta award oh i don't know like what that organization i know and i feel like really bad that i don't remember but that's niche though i like that so he what it was a pasta competition and i think all other nine chefs were italian i mean that's awesome and josh won yeah um and he got to go to Italy and, like, go around, like, southern Italy. And, and, yeah, he was really proud of that. And, obviously, we were really proud of him. Uh, that was probably, like, you know, the biggest thing that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, criticisms, there's been a lot of them. Um, you know, opinions are opinions. Like, who am I to say? But uh, I think that, you know, like, it's difficult for like once we reopen like a lot of the criticisms came before we renovated and before I was there and I think that we've done a pretty good job of you know figuring out who we are like every restaurant I think is you know like has a a growing period Mm -hmm. um and definitely like like I said the concept when we opened was like a little bit heady it's like are you Asian are you Korean are you Japanese and then how does the Italian idea fit into that and I feel like we've really sort of settled in that place of we're a Momofuku restaurant. We make fresh pasta. We pull from the idea of Italian. Our wine list is very Italian. And, you know, we have three, over 300 bottles. Our beverage manager, Andy, does a great job of, like, 
bringing in things that are, again, you know, I think the wine list and the menu really correlate in the way that, like, we're not doing something traditional. It's not, we have Nebbiolo, we have Brillo and Barbara, you know, Brunello, but we're pulling from, like, lesser-known varietals, younger producers, people who are doing different things, or even that, like, Cali, like, Ital, like, varietal thing that's going on, all these, like, California wine producers who are making Italian varietals, you know, out there and, like, really introducing things to people that are, are newer or we're excited about. And it's sort of the same. It's like we, you know, really care about what we do every day. And, you know, I think the food reflects that as well. It's not, it doesn't need to be pigeonholed. So Sure. Well, so, Nick, as someone who's been at, um, Co has two stars. Wolf had... One star. One star. Yeah. Is that something that you really, really want for Nishi? Is it something that you and your team put a lot of like time and thought into? Or is that something that's like not really a priority day to day? When I first started there, it's not something that I really like thought about. But I think, um, I mean, this year when the guide came out, I think we like, we did like a video shoot for Michelin earlier in the year. So we kind of hoped that like maybe we were like on their radar. Um, but it didn't happen for us this year, but maybe next year it would be nice. You know, I think it'd be awesome. Um, I think, I, mean, I don't know. I don't understand Michelin's point of view in New York. I think a lot of people feel the same way. I think there's a lot of restaurants that have one star and I think we're as good as many of those. So yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. That's interesting that it's, it's hard to understand the point of view. Um, do you, do you think, besides like a video shoot or is there any way to like know you're on a radar I at all? I have no idea. I, I yeah. wish I knew. I don't think we know. But yeah. Cause like there's just so many restaurants. Like how do you make it to all of them? Like I'm, you know, I'm sure they revisit all the restaurants that have stars, but like as far as like new entries, I feel like that's like a little bit more like, how do you even know if you're like going to be considered? I also think know? that, I mean, I don't really know, but I think that Michelin and a lot of this, you know, rating systems are trying to be more inclusive of different styles of restaurants. So, like, that, then the pool is even wider, which is a great thing. But but for a, an Italian restaurant, you're maybe facing a lot of competition within that niche. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, like, uh, we're, not, we're not trying to necessarily be, like, in the same pool as that. But we're, you know, we're our own thing, I think. Like, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately since we're about to enter award season and James Beard Awards. And mm-hmm. it's but how just, do you guys feel about the 50 best? The the new news about them. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking, we were talking about that yeah. yesterday. It's interesting. I don't know how I feel about it, mostly because I don't necessarily use 50 best to make dining decisions. If I maybe if I did, I would be like, I'm mad. Those places are like not really in my like weekly grabbing dinner after work rotation. But I definitely remember being working at Momofuku and the week two weeks before that list was coming out, there being like, you know, an underlying sense of like, is our Sambar and Co going to move up or down? What's going to happen? And that everyone was like, we don't want to care, but we we do care at the end of the day. Um I don't it's know. a little bit like, how can you not care when it's, like, always nice to get an award and sure. be recognized, but you also are thinking about, like, what's going on behind the scenes with these awards and what does the pool look the po- like? And what are the politics? Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of politics. Yeah, I mean, it's it's at the best restaurant in the world can't then be considered again. Yes. And then what is that, how does that change the dynamic of... So, yeah, we should... And, then, and then it's, like, 
is that the best though? Right, because like, if like the person that was they... on top's not eligible, and then someone else gets number one, it's like, well, did you only get it because they're not qualified to get it? <laughs> right. So like, are you actually the second best in the right, third year? You're the third kinda best. Kind of cheapens it a little bit. It I, feels I like you're know. being like I don't know picked we... later in like a you know on the playground. Right. Like the best like <laughs> dodgeball player is like sick from school today, so you get picked first because <laughs> he's homesick. Like. Yeah, except know. he's not homesick. He's actually still just as good as he ever yeah, was. Yeah, he's at home, thro- like, just, yeah, <laughs> just sucking balls and his sister, you know? And just, yeah. like, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it's the the thing that I think I had the biggest hang-up on with that, with them basically putting, like, the number one, all the number ones into, like, a winner circle of sorts where, like, yeah, they're kind of cool. retired. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what they're doing, which I think is kind of cool because it does allow fresh new recognition and things. Yeah. But that, that I don't know what they're calling it, but like a winner circle, essentially it's like the lifetime achievement pool. It has your Noma and it has your El Keller, Deacon Roca, but it also has a So they're putting restaurants that are no longer open along with restaurants that are definitely still open. That could be, those are the ones we are saying, Keep like if they're still the best, they're yeah. still the best. And where's El the pressure, not. like, the competition to overtake that right because you like you're you want to be better than the best and that goes away yeah and yeah, also you can't, like, like see that someone like that was number one's like beneath you now like you can't you don't yeah, get that and, and, like, so, yeah so, the thrill right. is gone it's also yeah. like the thrill is gone yeah. if, <laughs> if if they reopen a if they open a new restaurant are, right they're then eligible totally so there's a, there's a loophole. Yeah. Mm. A very loophole. expensive, laborious loophole. Yeah. Oh, but I'm pretty sure they can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we need to take a quick break. Yes. And then when we come back, we will carry on, and then we will do a little trivia. This episode is brought to you by Shaxbury Cider, who believe cider can be daring, complex, and eminently drinkable. Located in Vergennes, Vermont, Shaxbury make a broad offering of ciders, from the bright and fruity rosé to inventive, small-batch wild apple fermentation. Each fall, Shaxbury takes to the hills of Vermont to forage for the wild and forgotten fruit that make up their lost apple project. Shaxbury, producer of the first American-made Pet Nat Cider, continues to experiment every year with limited edition ciders designed to spotlight locally foraged fruit. To learn more, visit Shaxbury.com or follow them on Instagram at Shaxbury. You fall for it That you can never just live The way you read Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. We're here with Nick Timboro and Emma Conroy from Momofuku Nishi. And um, the commercial that we played today was very, very appropriate. Emma, can you tell us the connection between Momofuku and Shaxbury? Yeah, so Shaxbury Cider has partnered with Momofuku for um, right now, which is only offered uh, at Momofuku and I think always will be, is our collaboration with them. So there's been two that have been released that you can get at Momofuku, and the third is being actually canned right now so jake lewis who is our wine director and andy wedge who's actually the beverage manager at nishi went up a couple weeks ago to shaxbury open vermont and blended the newest cider so uh stay tuned for that um you know we really love them and they do 
a lot of great things with artisanal apples and they really take care of their orchards and it's definitely a cool project oh he did tell me the new one's rosé i know that oh yeah that's, yeah so <laughs> you heard that's that's first. the little bit that i know about it Take go drink that. it yeah shaksbury is great um they really we love shaksbury very very much too yeah i believe the second there was the first collaboration and there was 2.0 and so now 3.0 is being canned right now 2.0 was in bottle it was beautiful Shout out to the Momofuku design team for all of their label work. Oh, they're the best. Brendan and Margaret yes. and everybody, yeah. They're, they do a really, really great job. All right. So it's time for trivia. Oh. And our trivia. She's good at trivia. I'm not. It depends. Our theme. Did you look at the answers, <laughs> Katie? I have not. I only saw the first one because it had a keyword that uh, shook me. We, oh. we also write quizzes. And oh, we, we have we, good questions. We wrote yeah. a really Uh-oh. intense quiz. Oh, oh that quiz. That I thought you were going to talk about like the niche questions, like the desert island vegetable or the coat and jacket. Oh, no, no. Okay. What's the difference between a coat and jacket? Oh. Like, it's, a, it's a whole long thing. Like we, philosophical questions. Well, and it's Kinda. a theme, and we ask everybody uh-huh. at the restaurant, and everyone answers, and it, you know, <laughs> they change here and there. But we also wrote a quiz that was for the staff that was pretty funny. It was about like the... Were there correct answers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about like, you know, who is like out of the last five years, who is the top 50 best? Just to, like, yeah, oh, and you had to name for each year, you had to name who is the best restaurant. Yeah, like you just think... That's challenging. In order. I haven't been keeping up anymore. Oh, that's yeah. tricky. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we wrote and yeah, we give it to everybody. I'd be like, no, 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 no. Obviously, oh, no. no one was graded, but then, I mean, we judged. Did them you fire anybody people. on the results? No. Of the quiz? <laughs> no. But I said for, we had a question that was like, what if you were stranded on a desert island, what is the one vegetable that you could have and the one fruit that you could have? And I said that I would not hire anyone that answered potato as their vegetable. But a surprising number of the staff said that they would answer like, potato. On a desert island, why would you want a potato? Could you, you can you like season the potato? Yeah. You don't well, have you salt water. It's versatile, but if you can't do anything with it, well, what you do you have, want to eat a potato? You don't have butter. 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 Yeah. Come on. Yeah. If it, right, I, I would, could find a clam or something. <laughs> Out there. Well, Nick, would you would you judge less a sweet potato than a regular potato? Because sweet potatoes no, are he's really good. More. Well, I know they're good for you. They are really right. good for you, and they're they're sweet and they're nice. Yeah, that's true. I, that's better than a russet. Yeah, Let's I'll, be I'll give you eat that. A potato you that. every day with like fish you catch out of the ocean, though. No. Oh. Yeah. Huh? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. this this <laughs> trivia is about Italian American foods. Oh boy. And oh, drinks. Okay. Um. <laughs> Cool. We're going to start, like, uh, hopefully pretty easy. I tried to, like, not make them too insane. Okay. Question number one. What New York City pizzeria is recognized as being the first in the U.S.? Opened in 1905. Oh, that's the one in Soho, right? Is it Joe's Pizza? I thought it was the one in Soho. I don't know. I don't know. We Just, don't know. Uh, <laughs> I actually don't know the answer to this. It's because the coal the, oven This one. is not the question that was triggering. You must have edited since I, did I edit saw them. that. Okay. Um, I'll give you a, a hint. I don't know if it'll help or not. It probably won't help Katie. Um, <laughs> what are you saying? Because it, it's a football reference. Um, oh, it's yeah, also it the name of a football award. Oh, well, I don't know nothing about sports. Oh, well, the Heisman Trophy. The other one for the defense. What? How do you I know don't. this? <laughs> what is a Heisman Nick, trophy? I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other one? Starts with an L. Uh, oh, I, I know Lombardi's, it. Lombardi's. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Cool, the Vince cool. Lombardi trophy is the Heisman oh. trophy, basically the Heisman for defense. I knew, I knew one of them. <laughs> I'm teaching you things about football, <laughs> too. Okay, question number two. 
What slang term for Capicola became a well-known stereotype oh, thanks to its use one. on The Sopranos? The gabagool. Gabagool. Yeah. All right. I'm going to the Mooly Ghoulie to get some Gabagool. <laughs> we Question... love Gabagool. <laughs> Question number three. Would you put Gabagool on a potato? Yeah, I mean, Why not? I think it's better know, yeah. than just a potato. <laughs> Only if the potato's fried. I think that would be good. Yeah. Uh, wait, what Sardinian delicacy that is only available on the black market is made by leaving pecorino outside with part of the rind removed to allow larvae to grow inside of it? Holy shit. Kill me now. I know nothing about this. But... Um, I actually feel like I do know about this. But I have absolutely no idea what it's called. It's, it's like queso manzo or something. It's, you're very, very close. Casu Marzu. Okay, I was like close. I so what? Tell me it. about this. So know. it's a it's illegal. It's okay. illegal to make this, but like people in <laughs> Sardinia in, do it. Okay. Yeah, even there, but they still do it and they sell it like on the black market. But it basically doubles the value of the pecorino because it's like such a delicacy there. But it's literally like you look at it and it's moving, it's crawling. I know yeah. because once the larvae like, die, then it's then it's like very unsafe to eat. That's disgusting. Isn't it gross? Okay. Yeah, I don't want to eat them. No. All right. Does it taste different? Yeah, it tastes like funky, like really funky. Like imagine how Jasmine feels about rice, but like <laughs> cheese. Yeah. We have a we have a host who doesn't eat rice. She thinks it looks maggots. like maggots. Yeah. I mean, some of it does. You might have actually just ruined rice for me, which I didn't no, know was possible. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. All right. Question number four. Tiramisu is one of my favorite Italian desserts made from sweetened mascarpone, cocoa, and coffee dip ladyfingers. What does the word tiramisu translate to in English? These questions are getting so much harder. Um, I feel like it has something to do with like a mountain, maybe? I was going to say or something like to do with throwing. No. <laughs> I have no idea. Think about like what coffee does to you. It like brings lifts you up. Lifts you up yeah. There you go. Pick me up or cheer me up is oh. what this is. That's why I thought mountain. I'm like, I feel like it like it's like a high. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. You're I, close. Yeah, okay. That was my thought. It gets you high. <laughs> yeah. It gets you high. <laughs> Elevation or just with caffeine. Whatever. Can you make an alcoholic version of tiramisu? Like with brandy um, or something? It I alcohol? thought it does It's have called food. Yeah. espresso yeah. martini. Oh, does it? Yeah. No, I think tiramisu has... Um, what? I want to say rum, but that seems weird. Well, no. I, don't know. I feel like in a, in the US, people probably put like Kahlua in it. Oh, they definitely no. don't do that. In we we decided no. there should be a rejuvenation of espresso martinis. Yeah, also. we're working on it at Nishi. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it, let me know when that happens. In like liquid form or like pudding form? No, like oh. a liquid form. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like what's like the most uncool thing you can think of, and like That's how do you make that cool again? <laughs> Would you put like whipped cream on it? No, absolutely mm. not. Good. That's yeah. the other like ethos of Mofuku. What's not cool, and we're gonna make it cool. Do you remember Rebecca who worked at PR? Oh yeah. So we she we were all talking about it one day, and she's like cottage cheese. She's like, how do you make cottage cheese? I'm cool? on it's board with back. her, and she's and I was like, Rebecca, that's a very good point. <laughs> I am on board, and you know what's gonna make it happen is Cowgirl Creamery mm-hmm. out in San Francisco oh, makes yeah. clabbered cottage cheese, and it is so great. What is I love cottage those cheese? Ladies. It's what? um, it's what like make, what makes it? What is it? What is it? It's I don't soft, even know. small curds. It's curds it's like ricotta. And cream. It's like ricotta, yeah. but less cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I've been eating a lot of cottage cheese I for my it. breakfast with Zatar. Yeah, because I want like a yes, savory it's breakfast. Good with I'm savory. So not, Interesting. Like, also, if you ever have a dog that has puppies and you're like getting them off the mom's milk, put in some cottage cheese with dog food. Oh, we had a couple. Did you grow up with puppies? Yeah, my mom's. 
Well, our dogs had a couple of litters of puppies. They were like West Highland oh. White Terriers, and it was like the cutest things. They're like white dogs. They had like cottage cheese. Oh, you guys didn't they think actually, you were going to come uh, away with dog advice, but you did. It ruined cottage cheese for me because, oh, you know, oh, it's it, with dog food, but hey, you know. I've never had cottage dog cheese. Dog owners, so you know. You should try it. The one you can get here, that's it's called like Good. Yeah, good cottage trying, cheese. Yeah. It's very good, and you get the like high fat content one. That seems very good. Like, they make little single serve hard. Of plain. It's good. good. They're good. Very good. But if you're out on the West Coast, <laughs> definitely get Cowgirl Creamery cottage cheese. It's amazing. It will it'll change your perception of it for sure. All right, yeah. question number five. This is the last question. This the film Bicycle Thieves, which was formerly known as The Bicycle oh, Thief, is famous for portraying poverty in post World War II Italy. What super simple dish is used to illustrate class differences as one wealthy boy eats it with a knife and fork, but the other one, the main character, Bruno, devours it using his hands? I'm going to wow. say, I've never seen this I've movie. I've seen that movie because I went pizza. to film school, but I have I no it idea. Was, um, You're very close. They go into a restaurant and the guy says, we don't serve pizza here. You're going to eat this. Isn't it like pasta pomodoro or something? No, it's no? bread with something on top. Focaccia? Bread with something on top. Yeah. Chicken liver pate. On, Think like you're the si- say like the most simple Italian food. Cheese. What kind of cheese? Mozzarella. You got it. <laughs> oh, so they're basically just eating garlic bread. They're eating like he eats <laughs> melted mozzarella on bread. How do you like, eat stretches. that with a knife and fork? Because he's like some too posh dainty, boy. You know, like, he's like, oh, I'm gonna cut my pizza. Yeah, exactly. And then some other kids like, I'm just gonna pick up and eat it. Yep. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Why did they change the name? Um, because in the translation, they called it The Bicycle Thief because they thought it sounded good, but it's actually about multiple bicycle thieves. So, Ladrones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Criterion Collection re-released it and named it The Bicycle Thieves. You guys should take it on us, like, Asian. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> we intentionally yeah. make our trivia really hard. No, I like it. I well, like at it. first, when it first started, I was like, oh, like the first two or three questions, I was like, yeah, we got this. If it was like Italian American, like, what do they serve calamari with in New England? And we're like, oh, marinara sauce and pickled cherry pepper. Is that mm. only a New England thing? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think so. That's, that makes sense. Is it? I mean, I don't know. I'm from New England, so I just figured oh, everybody okay. did. <laughs> no, it's, I think it's only a New England oh. thing. Well, I'm from Alabama. Delicious. They don't serve calamari there. <laughs> <laughs> what about That's why I moved here. <laughs> what about what? What about bung? Bung? This is the whole thing. Is it calamari or is it pork bung? Oh, oh like, okay. yeah, like yeah. chitlins. Oh, I've heard. Okay, I've you, heard this rumor, but it's, no, it's they, a, we just never. This American Life. Oh God! Oh, shout mm-hmm. out to Ira Glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shout out. Shout he's out to he's my a boy. regular of ours. Yes. Yeah. Everyone here, we can all agree, loves Ira Glass. Absolutely. Yes. Hands down. I'm going to send him this just so he knows that we all Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That would be nice. Hi, Ira. Hi, Ira. Love you. (laughs) If he makes it this far in the show. Yeah. Hello. You're invited on HR and Happy Hour. Whenever you want. Yeah. That'd be cool. All right. So cool. Well, that's our show. You guys won trivia. I don't think we did, but thank you so much because we're like, uh, we really love being here. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for making our podcast the first one you ever Came yeah. on, Emma. Yeah. Congratulations. It's, yeah. I'm a big co- podcast person. Love, like, loved being able to be a part of one. It's really awesome. special. Well, so thank you so much. We hope to have you back. <laughs> thank you for being out here in Bushwick today. Thank you for trooping through the rain for us. It makes us feel very special. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> hope to see you soon. All um, right. Sounds good. Thanks Tune again to Emma week. Conroy, Nick Timborough. We'll be back next week. Yes. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. There's All an right. announcement about an announcement about an announcement about an announcement thanks Amanda Wang and we'll see you guys next Thursday
HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.